When he was growing up in Harlem three quarters of a century ago, the schools were good. In recent years, Harlem has once again produced some very good schools, charter schools, and he found that intriguing. Today, one day after his 90th birthday, Thomas Sowell on his new book, Charter Schools and Their Enemies. Uncommon Knowledge Now. Welcome to another special Plague Time edition of Uncommon Knowledge with Peter Robinson. Thomas Sowell has taught economics, intellectual history, and social policy at institutions that include Cornell, UCLA, and Amherst. Now a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, Dr. Sowell has published many books, including his newest volume, just published, Charter Schools and Their Enemies. And yesterday, Thomas Sowell turned 90. Tom, happy birthday. Thank you. All right. The argument of charter schools and their enemies. I'm quoting from the book, Tom. Charter schools and especially some particular networks of charter schools located in low-income Black and Hispanic neighborhoods have achieved educational results not only far above the levels achieved by most public schools in those neighborhoods, we're talking about New York City neighborhoods, but sometimes even higher educational results than those in schools located in affluent white neighborhoods. No one expected that. Put kids in good schools and they'll learn. And in black and Hispanic neighborhoods, that comes as a surprise. Why should it come as a surprise to so many? Because, because they've heard a thousand excuses as to why they, they, they can't uh, teach them in these neighborhoods that the kids are poor, that all sorts of things are wrong, except that nothing is ever thought to be wrong with the public schools themselves. Right. Uh, it's always right. somebody else who is responsible. The society should have solved the integration problems, etc. All right. L let's define terms. Charter schools differ from private schools because charter schools remain publicly funded. But how do charter schools differ from other public schools? They differ from the fact that uh, the biggest difference is that children are assigned to go to particular public schools. Uh, no children are, are assigned to go to charter schools. Charter, the people who apply for charter schools are, are, are then uh, selected by lottery. And so uh, the, the charter schools themselves, well, let me put it differently. Traditional public schools are radically different from almost any other institution in society. Whether these are hospitals, the sports arenas, uh, automobile dealerships, churches, or whatever. And that any institution, uh, in order to survive as an institution, has to have some clientele that it must please enough for the clientele to come to them. Traditional public schools are, are a radical di radically different in that compulsory attendance laws uh, provide them with a clientele. The clientele has no choice in the matter, and there is no competition among different traditional public schools because each one has a monopoly in its own district. Charter schools are more like other institutions. It, 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 it survives as an institution only to the extent that they can attract people there voluntarily. What about teachers in charter schools? Unionized, not unionized, a mix? How does that work? Uh, in, the, in the most charter schools, the, the teachers are not unionized. 
uh, in, in the public, traditional public schools, the, the teachers are unionized. And of course, the, the teachers' unions are well aware of this distinction, uh, which has some huge financial implications for them. Right. All right. To, back to the book, you study, you mention charter schools in a number of places across the country, but you focus, and you focus very intently on charter schools in New York City. You go through the data in great detail. Let me quote you. New York City has a substantial sample of ethnically and socioeconomically comparable students whose educational outcomes can be compared, close quote. Can you explain that just to the extent of a sentence yes, or two? Uh, yes. Uh, many of the people who are defending the traditional public schools or attacking the charter schools say the charter schools don't get any better results as a whole than the public, traditional public schools as a whole. Uh, it's one of many statements that is technically true and, and grossly misleading at the same time. White students and Hispanic students constitute a majority of all the students in traditional public schools. Black students and Hispanic students uh, are, are a majority in the charter school. Did I say white, white and Asian students? Yes. Uh, you said white and Hispanic, white and Asian. All right. Well, in, white, in the public schools, white and Asian. Right. Right. Charter schools, black and Hispanic. For, for generations, white and Asian students have been scoring higher on tests than black and Hispanic students. So to say that they're, that, that they're only equal now is to say that this gap that people have been uh, agonizing over for years has now been closed is, is, to, is to state what, what is relevant. I mean, both, both statements are true. One is true and misleading. The other is true and has some effect to it. Right. So I, I'm going to quote, you just mentioned it, but I'm going to quote this summary of your central finding in charter schools and their enemies. New York City charter schools that have had no capacity to end poverty or racial concentrations of minority students. That is, they're in the neighborhoods that they're in. They take the students who are selected by lottery. They can't affect the poverty of the background of those students. They can't affect the racial makeup of those students. Nevertheless, these charter schools have closed the racial gap in education. Close quote. Now, the first time you present this finding, it's in a section where you're being relatively analytical and, and frankly, a little bit dry. But that goes <laughs> off. That goes off like a cannon shot, doesn't it? I would you hope mean so. to tell me we have discovered how to close this educational gap that has been a wound in the nation for decades? Yes, and that the people who do it uh, are being attacked after they've done it. All right. That's the finding. Let's, let's just go through, this is charter schools and their enemies. And we'll come to the enemies in a moment, but a lot of people of goodwill have in their minds various arguments against charter schools that they've picked up during, well, here in California, during ballot initiative contests and so forth. Let's just go through these. Yeah. Uh, charter schools cream away the best students, the smartest kids, the motivated kids, and that leaves public schools with the worst students. In other words, the kids do better in charter schools because they're better students in the first place. Tom? Uh, it, it, it sounds so, so uh, on the surface, it sounds very plausible. In reality, the children who get into the charter schools are chosen by lottery. Uh, and as in, as in other lotteries, a very small number of people win and a very large number lose. 
And so when, say, 17,000 uh, applicants for 3,000 places in the Success Academy Charter School uh, are, are chosen, uh, Success Academy takes 3,000. The, the other 14,000 are going to end up back in the, in, in the traditional public school. So the charter schools take a fraction of the applicants. The applicants may well be better motivated than the average student, but the fact is that the great majority of those motivated students remain in the public schools, and they don't do anything with them, com comparable to what the charter schools do in the charter schools. Meaning that, as you mentioned in the book, for, uh, there are a number of studies, including by our Hoover colleague, Caroline Hoxby, that track the kids who lose the lottery and get yes. sent back to the public school. And if they were special kids, especially motivated, you might hope to see that they outperform, and they don't. They fall behind the kids who make it into the charter school. Is that correct? Absolutely. And moreover, uh, the girls who go into the charter schools uh, become pregnant at a much lower rate than the girls who go back in, into the traditional public schools. And the boys uh, in, go into the charter schools uh, do not get it incarcerated at the same rate, uh, as high a rate as the, the boys who go, who go who are left behind in, in, the pub, in the public school. And the second point I think is important because they're always saying that the charter schools, because they have stronger discipline problems, that this is the beginning of the uh, pipeline from school to prison. In point of fact, the, the, uh, the evidence, the hard evidence, uh, shows that kids who are in charter schools with stricter discipline are less likely to end up being incarcerated. All right. Uh, here's another argument against charter schools. It's just, I'm plucking these arguments yes. from the air. They're, they're what we've all heard over and over. Charter schools deprive ordinary public schools of the vital resource and that, of course, is money. Every kid who live, leaves the public school, ordinary public school for a charter school, takes tuition dollars with him. And that's unfair because the traditional public schools have such high fixed costs. They have buildings to maintain. They have teachers' contracts to honor and on and on and on. And so the charter schools, whatever they may be doing in, the, in their schools, they're weakening the public school system by bleeding it of funds. Tom? Uh, uh, no, you find, my, you find these arguments amusing. <laughs> I have to laugh because otherwise I would cry. Uh, They're so bad. Uh, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a child leaves any kind of school to go to another school, nobody says that the money to educate that child ought to remain behind in the school that he left rather than move with him to the school he goes to. So, so by the millions, Kids are moving from one public school to another, from public to private to whatever. And nobody has ever uh, advanced the ridiculous argument that the money should stay behind when the kid goes. But what's also, also not known widely is that the public, the taxpayer's money that goes to the uh, charter school students is less than what they, what they are paying to Per, per pupil in the public schools. Now, I've seen two studies probably at different times, one of which says it's 19% less, the other says something like 26% less. But So the money per pupil goes up when the kid leaves for the charter school because he doesn't take as much money with him 
to the charter school as was being spent on it when he was in the public school. So it's just as, the well, opposite uh, of what people suppose. It's yeah. the opposite of what, right. All right. Um, charter school teachers. The charter schools can do more with less money, partly because they hire cheaper teachers. They're younger. They're less credentialed. They don't belong to unions, so they don't have union dues to pay. So charter school, charter schools are just working with a cheaper labor force. Tom? Well, I would love to see the numbers on that, but the, but the fact of the matter is when, when you look at the result that these supposedly less qualified teachers are turning out uh, kids who know, who know their math and the, and the supposedly well-qualified ones in the traditional public schools are turning out kids who can't do math. I mean, I, I, I cited this number that uh, the, the uh, charter school kids in the same, in the same building with, with uh, uh, traditional uh, public school kids uh, uh, pass the math test uh, nearly seven times as often. That's an average. At the extremes, it's almost unbelievable. I mean, one, one classic example is a school where 7% of, of, the, of the kids in the traditional public school in that building pass the math test. In the charter school, 100% pass the math test. Hold on. Wait a minute. I want to, I want to repeat that. They're in the same building. In the They're in the same building. They're of the same ethnic background. They're of the same social economic background. And the uh, kids who are subjected to the subjected who are participating in the traditional public school regime, seven percent pass the math test. This, this, is, down, this is a particular class, right? Right. But one example, and then down yeah. the hall, yeah. same well, kids, same buildings. Yeah. The, the difference yeah. is the the system. They're in a different system, and they pass at the rate of one hundred percent. More than that, uh, as I put on the book, uh, there, you know, there's four levels, and level three is proficient. Yes. Uh, among the kids in the, in the charter school, uh, 98% uh, are in level four, which is the level above proficient. And only 2% are in as low as proficient. And the other, only 7% are as high as proficient. And again, I want to repeat this. These are taking place in the same building. They're using, they're renting yeah. disused rooms in public school buildings. And that's... Yeah. Not that all charter schools do that, but those are the charter yeah. schools you studied because they are so directly comparable. Yes, exactly. All right. One more argument against charter schools. You've touched on it already, but I want, to, I want to take it on directly. And that's this question of discipline. Charter yeah. schools impose the results that they, they achieve the results that they achieve because they are imposing discipline at such strict levels that it verges over into the inhumane. They're scaring the kids. They're turning them into robots. You, here, here's an incident. You're laughing again. <laughs> here's an incident that you touch on in your book. Uh, charter school in New York that turned a little kindergartner away. Go home. You can't come in today because the kindergartner was wearing the wrong socks. Now, yeah. Tom, Tom, that, that's taking things too far. Don't you agree? <laughs> It was the first day of school, mm -hmm. and the first thing they want the child to understand that rules are there for a reason, and that if you don't follow the rules, you don't belong in there. And that is enormously important. The socks themselves don't matter. I, I don't think it matters two cents worth. But what, what, what you must establish in the child's mind 
that rules are there, and when you disobey them, there are consequences. And so forth. he misses one day of kindergarten, and the next time he comes in, he'll have his uniform proper, properly on him, and they'll let him in. But if you're not going to have, if you're going to have rules without consequences, you don't have rules. You just have suggestions. All right. Now we come to charter schools and their enemies. Tom, two quotations. Here's from, this is from an article in the New York Times. This is just months ago. The city, New York City, the city and state's political forces have turned decisively against charter schools over the last few years. Close quote. Here's the second quotation. This is Tom Sowell in Charter Schools and Their Enemies. How can success be so unwelcome? Close quote. Charter schools producing results among the very disadvantaged kids in the very neighborhoods that New York's liberal establishment claims to most want to help. And it is that very liberal establishment that has arrayed itself against those same schools. What is going on? Well, they understand that if 50,000 kids on waiting lists to get into charter schools are able to do so, and the per pupil allotment of money is $20,000, more than $20,000 per, per student, that means that the traditional public schools will lose more than a billion dollars a year. And the public schools are in no mood to lose that kind of money. The, and the teachers' unions are by no means in a mood to lose that many teachers' jobs and the, and the, and the union dues that those teachers pay. It's bigger than that even. There is a whole way of life that has come about in the traditional public schools. There's no way that they can compete with the charter schools without changing that profoundly. For example, the ironclad job protection that the teachers have. So the teachers who have done all kinds of terrible things remain on the payroll because it is just too expensive to get rid of them. Um, my gosh, they, they had they have a, a, one class of uh, teachers who did no teaching at all and would just report to some vacant room and sit there during the day and they would collect, collect full pay and, uh, uh, and, and and collect seniority and various benefits and so forth because the cost of firing them is prohibitive. It's prohibitive in financial terms and in time. If you want, in money terms, uh, a study has shown that to, to fire a teacher for in, in incompetence it takes an average of 830 days, which is more than two years, and costs an average of $313,000. And that by no means guarantees that you'll be able to do it. And, and, it, and it doesn't even take into account that there's a whole labyrinthine procedure that you have to go through. And not, to the principal will have to use a huge amount of his time going through all, jumping through all these hoops in the hopes of being get, you know, getting rid of such a teacher. Uh, and, so, and so they're kept in the, in, in the school. They, they are not tested. They're not judged by how well the students learn. They, they, they will not be, they, they can pass on to the next grade kids who are two levels below the proficiency level. And they just keep them moving on, on, on keep the line moving. And so, you, but you can't do that if you have to compete with for results 
with the, with the, with the results that the charter schools are able to get. So you are telling me we're used to human nature, we're used to politics, we're used to the idea that there are vested interests. But you're telling me that this is just, what's going on in New York City is just a naked, naked grab for power. Yes. The results that you're describing in the charter schools are known. It is known that there are 50,000 kids on the waiting list to get into those charter schools. And I suppose we could even say, well, maybe it's not surprising that teachers unions, the officials in the teachers unions, they're set up to get as much money and as much stability and job security for their teachers as they can. Maybe we can say, all right, we'd expect them to behave the way they're behaving. But the mayor of the city of New York, Bill de Blasio, has been all his life a progressive on the farther left in, within New York City. He's on the, 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 not the leftmost. In New York City, it's almost impossible to find the, the, where the left end of the spectrum ends, but he's over there. And that means that all his life, he has been arguing for help for the poor, the disadvantaged, Blacks and Hispanics, he knows what's going on. He has to. He yeah. sees that there's something that can help these kids, and he's siding with the unions all the same. Is that correct? Yes. All right. What would he say in his own defense? Is there, is there anything we're missing here? Are you being slightly unfair to this man? Oh, heaven knows that. <laughs> the teachers' unions help put this man in the, in, the, in the office he holds. He appeals to them. He, he is, he is uh, and, and when he was uh, giving a talk at the National Education Association, which is the country's largest union, he mentioned that he, 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 he hates the people who set up charter school. There should be no federal funding for charter school. You should get rid of charter school. And, I'm, and that will, of course, get him the support of the National Education Association. All right. Again, charter schools and their enemies, the study where, and, and where you go into, a, the, you present charts, tables, the facts, the figures, the argument is the results are just unassailable. But that's in New York City because that's where they, the data was available that allows you to compare. All right. But again, you do talk about other places, including California. Charter schools and their enemies. And again, we're on the enemies here. New laws passed in California in 2019 empower local education officials, that is, the officials running the traditional or regular public school system, empower local education officials to deny applications for establishing charter schools if the charter school in question, now you're quoting the new law, is demonstrably unlikely to serve the interests of the entire community, close quote, or if, this, if again quoting, the school district is not positioned to absorb the fiscal impact of the proposed charter school, close quote. Well, that's a lot of words, and here's what it means. Again, I'm quoting you. In short, incumbents, those already in power, incumbents are empowered to determine if the community really needs their competitors <laughs> or, or if the competition of newcomers would inconvenience the existing institutions, close yes. quote. You don't, you don't, you're not being unfair or too harsh there. You don't want to take back any of what you wrote there, do you? 
one of the things I do in the book is point out that this whole approach has a long history in other fields of endeavor. Uh, it, it's, it's been it's, it's, it had it in the, uh, the radio industry, the television industry, uh, freight, freight carrying in the airline industry. Uh, and when, and which you set up a law that says, in order to be uh, authorized to operate in this industry, you must show that there is a public uh, necessity or convenience that you're going to provide. And this will, of course, be judged by people who are looking at your impact on the existing in the people in the industry. And, and that, for, 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 for decades, uh, as people, more and more people were taking up the airlines, they never could seem to find a need for any more airlines to come into the industry. Uh, because they realized that if you had competition, some of the existing airlines would go bankrupt. And when they, but when they finally, and it was during the Carter administration, one of the few things that was done right, they got rid of this legislation. Uh, immediately, other airlines were created. Airline prices fell. Far more cities had airline service. So this idea that they're doing this to protect the public is absolute nonsense. They're doing it to protect the incumbents. Uh, just to give one other example, uh, when FM radio came along, and FM radio has a better sound, which is why most music stations are on FM radio rather than AM, it was technologically available decades before it became widespread because they were saying this will have a bad effect on the AM stations if we allow FM stations. And so they just, they delayed it for, for as long as they possibly could. It's, it's, it's absurd when you think about it, but they put it in these wonderful sounding words and then hope, hope that you don't think about it. Mm. Tom, well, charter schools and their enemies. Again, we're on the enemies. Teachers unions, I'm quoting you, teachers unions are the politically strongest of the organizations opposed to charter schools. They possess millions of members and make millions of dollars in political campaign contributions, close quote. Now, here's something, I'm sure you've heard this, and I've heard it over and over again. Wait a minute, all right, advocate for charter schools if you want to, but don't bash the good people who are trying to make the public school system work. Uh, Teachers. Well, the, the, good, the good people who are trying to make the public school system work are doing it by making it, by putting roadblocks in the ability of, t of students to transfer out of traditional public schools. One of those roadblocks is simply laws that, that give an arbitrary number as a limit to the number of charter schools that can be authorized. This number uh, uh, has nothing whatever to do with whether the charter schools are good, bad, or indifferent. It has nothing to do with whether the existing uh, traditional public schools are good, bad, or indifferent. It's an arbitrary number, which means that in New York, the Success Academy Network, for example, which received over $9 million of federal money last year, uh, is unable to expand because they're, they're up against this magic number. And therefore, no matter how, how well they, they train the students, or how badly the other the other schools are, are training them, they simply cannot expand. In, in cities across the country, there are places where uh, there are vacant buildings, buildings that have been vacant for years, school buildings, and they block the charter schools from getting into those school buildings because if they get 
into those school buildings, they will have classrooms in which to take the kids who are on the waiting list. Uh, in some places, they have actually demolished build, school buildings, making sure the charter schools can't move into them. So these are the good people that you speak of. Uh, who are really trying to protect the, uh, the, the traditional public schools. Can, can I'm going to take one more, one more sally. I know, I take my life in my hands when I try again <laughs> against you, Tom, but how all of us can picture teachers in, in the public, well, those of us who went through the public school system in the old days, ordinary teachers, in my experience, tend to be very good people. I guess what I'm asking is, do you, what happens... I think we can posit that most teachers go into the profession hoping to do good with the kids. They're, they retain some idealism. The job for most of them, they take it seriously. It's hard. And they want the best for the kids. And then the teachers' unions behave just as you say they behave. What happens when individually good teachers come together to try to affect collective action. Is there some distinction? Is there some explanation, some systemic explanation for why good people can end up supporting a bad system? Well, first of all, teachers' unions are not uh, created by teachers. There are people who create unions. And in, fa in fact, uh, the, 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 uh, the interests of the teachers' unions can, can be opposite to those of, of the teachers. For example, if there's a large increase of money in, into the school system, and they're always saying it's underfunded, no matter how much, no matter how many billions of dollars go down a bottomless pit. Uh, when that when the money is out there and available, you could use that money to raise teachers' salaries. That would be good for the teachers. It would be bad for the teachers' unions. The teachers' unions uh, get, get more dues if instead of raising the teachers' salaries, you create more jobs, more teachers' aides, more counselors, more nurses, more this, more that, more bureaucrats in the, in the system, because all those people will be paying union dues. Whereas if you simply have a higher paid teachers, you don't, in, you don't get the increase in, in, in union dues. All right. All right. We've been talking about the success charter schools have in teaching the kids. Let's take a moment to talk about what charter schools can teach the rest of us. There are some lessons in the book I, 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 as I read it for the rest of us. Char what charter schools teach us about money. You just touched on this. You quote, in Charter Schools and Their Enemies, you quote your friend Walter Williams of George Mason University. And he conducted a study on schools in Baltimore. George Mason's in Virginia. Baltimore is just up uh, 91, I think, is the route. Anyway, 95, I-95. Here's Walter Williams. In 2016, in 13 of Baltimore's 39 high schools, not a single student scored proficient on the state's mathematics exam. Not one. Citywide, only 15% of Baltimore students passed the state's English test. Money is not the problem. Of the nation's 100 largest school systems, Baltimore schools rank third in spending per pupil, close quote. You, you said a moment ago, you described it as a bottomless pit. Yeah. You spend the third highest amount per pupil of 100 big systems, and you end up with 13 high schools in which not a single kid, not one, 
can pass the mathematics exam at a proficient yes. level. All right. So what does that teach us? If money isn't central, what is it that the charter schools are getting right aside from money? Values, rigor, what, what, are the, what, 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 well, is, what does the, matter? Well, the, 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 the institutions I mentioned earlier have different incentives and different constraints. Uh, in the charter school, they have to please the parents in order to have the parents send their kids there because no, no, no kids are required by compulsory attendance laws to go to a charter school. So they have, they're, they're an all-volunteer institution. And if you have uh, uh, poor education, you have uh, bedlam in the, in, in, in the, in the schools, uh, dangerous uh, uh, students who are allowed to run amok, those parents are not going to send their kids to a charter school. So the, so the incentives are entirely different. Also, the kind of people you attract. The charter schools do, in fact, keep track of how each teacher, how, how the students of each teacher turn out when they test them. And if you have a teacher whose kids keep flunking the test, that teacher is not likely to survive very long in, in, in a charter school. That teacher can survive for, for, for half a century in, 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 in the traditional public school. They're, you know, the, because, and, and moreover, the, the people in the traditional public schools and those who are defending them are absolutely opposed to having these annual tests that they have. And they have good reason to be opposed to them because those tests show just how badly the, the kids are being educated in their school. Mm. There, was a, there was, when the first KIPP, KIPP which is one of, the, one of the net charter school network, the first KIPP uh, school was put into a, 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 a traditional public school building in the South Bronx years ago. They, they were allowed in only when they agreed to the precondition that there would be nothing uh, inside or out that, outside that building to indicate that there was a second school in there. When the test score tests were given, they initially, uh, let, instead of allowing them to publish their test scores uh, separately, they lumped together all the test scores for all the kids in the building. Wow. Someone who tried to do a study in those early years was unable to find anything. Of course, now that, that we have the New York State Education Department, publicizing this on their website and we find out what's happening, we can understand why they didn't want those separate uh, test results to go out because they would have shown that the, the charter school kids were doing fine and that ones in the same building with them in the regular public schools uh, were failing terribly. Got it. So it's, it's, it's what you focus on, it's incentives. The schools are accountable to the parents Yes. And the teachers are accountable to the principals because the schools are accountable to the parents. It's accountability. Yeah. And they're accountable for results. See, one of the arguments against charter schools is that they're not accountable. And what they mean is they don't have all these enormous numbers of rules that, that you have in the public attrition. You're accountable for following those rules. You are not accountable for the end results uh, educationally for the students. Right. Right. What charter schools teach us about, I don't even know how to put this, culture, ordinary neighborhood culture, I guess, is the way to put it. I'm quoting you again, Tom, charter schools and their enemies. An empirical study of more than 90,000 black, white, and Hispanic students in grades 7 through 12 
found that among black and Hispanic students whose grade point averages are above some level, 2.5 among Hispanics and 3.5 among blacks, they have fewer friends of their own ethnicity. Yes. That is black and Hispanic kids who are good students mm -hmm. seem to start losing friends among their own ethnicity. Yeah. And then you quote Roland Fryer, Professor Roland Fryer of Harvard, concluded that this pattern, quote, is most prevalent in racially integrated public schools and is less of a problem in the private sector and in predominantly black public schools, close quote, untangled that. What's going on there? See, the, the people who have been saying that the way to get black kids to have better educational results is to put them in a school with white kids. And, and it sounds plausible, but the problem is they don't follow up by, by factually verifying that. And in fact, when you, you create an almost impossible situation. If, if the black kids have had very poor education before they go, go into the white school, they're going to be concentrated in the lower levels of, of each grade. And, and, but those particular black students who follow the same kinds of regimen that the white students follow uh, tend to get the same kind of results that the white kids get. Right. They go into the AP classes and so forth. And the other, other black kids... Uh, uh, then I resent that because they, they seem to be repudiating uh, their, their own people and, and joining the whites. And, and these are kids, after all. These aren't adults. And so, and so these, these kind of ideas lead them to be very hostile. Uh, there, was a, there was a black elite school in Washington many years ago called Dunbar High School. And uh, they, they got all kinds of, of outstanding results. One, one figure, 1953, uh, 81% of Dunbar graduates went on to college, which was higher than for any white public high school in Washington, D.C. All right. Uh, Dunbar High School was enormously controversial within the black community. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and it lasted. Uh, when, when there was, a, there was a, a debate, when they got a new building, it was to save the old building as a monument and so forth. And that, the bitterness that was brought out produced a legal case that went all the way up to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. And when the Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the building could be torn down, there were members of the uh, of Washington, D.C. City Council who said, Dunbar represents a, 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 a model of, of elitism among blacks that should never arise again. And, so, and people who have been successful in education uh, Escalante, for example, Jaime Escalante, who had us in LA or Southern California, as I recall. Calculus to, to Hispanics and uh, some high percentage of all the Hispanics in the country who passed the AP calculus test came out of his class, you know, uh, whereas the rest of the school couldn't do it. He was, he was disliked in the school. Uh, he was treated so shabbily that he left. The argument, the resentment uh, is, the resentment is that Dunbar High School in Washington was teaching black kids to be white. It was that, somehow that, that's it, essentially it. That that it was somehow unfaithful, being unfaithful to the black community yes, or insulting. Yes. I see. I see. Yes. And so in schools, in these charter schools in New York that you were studying, that effect does not seem to take, no, doesn't seem to be strong. No, because all the people who are there 
most of the kids who are there are there precisely because they want to get an education or their parents want them to. And so when you do better in that set situation, you're fine. But you have a 4.0 uh, uh, average and you're Hispanic in a predominantly white uh, school. The other, the, you, you lose your Hispanic friends. So, Tom, you know why this is very hard to accept, for me at least. Because you're saying that one of, the, one of the signal moments in American history, 1954, Supreme Court decision in Brown versus the Board of Education, in which Chief Justice Earl Warren said separate schools, this was ruling segregated schools unconstitutional, separate is inherently unequal. Yes. And do you, are you saying in certain circumstances, separate may be better for the minority kids themselves? Well, I, I would go that far, but I would say that, uh, that his proposition does not stand up under the record. And I use an example in the book of uh, the time before blacks were allowed in the major leagues. In those days, there was a separate black uh, league for black players. Jackie Robinson and others came out of that. Uh, once the, once the, the color barrier was really, was uh, taken down in the major leagues, there were seven consecutive years when no white player won the National League's Most Valuable Player Award. Separate was not unequal. Right, right. Uh, what happens very often is, is there's a wrong idea, namely that it's okay to segregate the black kids. Great. You, you, you go against that. But very often you go too far in the opposite direction and you say, uh, uh, if it's all black, then it's inherently unequal. That, and and, and that, that's going, uh, well, a bridge too far, as they say. All right. So uh, tell me if, th if this is a fair summary statement. I've, I found this again in, in the book. Charter schools and their enemies, quote, racially homogenous schools should not be sought as a goal. Yes. No segregation. That was a stupid, pernicious idea. We're, we're, we're far better off without it. No segregation. Yeah. Jim Crow should stay in its grave. Right. But where charter schools are located in predominantly black and or Hispanic neighborhoods, the reality of educational success should not be sacrificed for the rhetoric of integration or diversity, close quote. Absolutely. All right. All right. What, last question here about what charter schools teach us, what they teach us about root causes. This is another argument that we hear all the time. You mentioned it at the very top of the show. It may be most associated with the education expert, Professor Diane Ravitch. And she argues that in assessing underperforming urban schools, the poor performance of the students shouldn't be blamed on the schools. It should be blamed on the root causes, uh, 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 such as the students' socioeconomic background. The kids are poor. They come from ethnic groups that have suffered in the case of African-Americans, decade after decade after decade of prejudice and bias. That's the problem. And you can't ask schools to fix that, Tom Sowell. <laughs> you have to take the root causes into account. Tom? Oh, I love root causes because the people who say those magic words see no reason to look at anything so mundane as facts. Uh, 
it so happens that the Success Academy Charter School Network uh, has a higher percentage of its students passing the math and English tests on a given annually than any traditional public school district anywhere in the state of New York. That includes places where the average family income is uh, in excess of a quarter of a million dollars a year. The average family income of the kids in the Success Academy schools is $50,000 a year. And yet they do better on those tests than people whose families have five times as much income. So the idea that poverty prevents them from learning, apparently uh, uh, people who are saying these things have not bothered to check the facts. All right. Tom, I'm, I, I want to return to charter schools and their enemies in a moment. But you just turned 90 yesterday. <laughs> and and I, I have a few of my favorite Tom Sowell quotations. I want to just read a, I want to read a little bit of you to yourself. Well, I'm sitting down. All right, you're sitting down. And, you know, just because there are so many of us to whom you have meant so much over the years. Okay. This is from The Vision of the Anointed, which is a brilliant book to, ever, to, to, the, to those who are aware of it. They, they think of it as a classic, and I wish more people were aware of it. It is a classic. Quote, the vision of the anointed, you're talking about elites in society, is one in which ills such as poverty, irresponsible sex, and crime derive primarily from society rather than from individual choices and behavior. To believe in personal responsibility would be to destroy the whole special role of the anointed whose vision casts them as in the role of rescuers of people untreated, treated unfairly by society. Close quote. All right. How did it come to be that in your lifetime, actually substantially even in my lifetime, the anointed ended up running so much of the show. Major universities, the mainstream media. Even now we see in the, the, the way corporations are responding to the politics of the moment, even corporation after corporation after corporation. Ben and Jerry's makes ice cream. And they sold, Ben and Jerry sold that company to Unilever, which is a gigantic corporation. And yet a couple of weeks ago, Ben and Jerry's took it upon itself to release a statement about systematic racism in America dating from 1619. How making Rocky Road enable, entitles them to, makes them feel as though they're entitled to make such a statement, I do not know, but maybe you do. How did this happen? How did the anointed end up on top in so many places? I think they were in strategic places to begin with, namely the educational system. And when you have, uh, and one of the other differences between the charters and the others is that the charter schools are very strong on the basics. The public schools have all kinds of indoctrination courses on which they waste these children's time. Whether what they say is, good, is, is, is correct or incorrect in one way or another really does not justify the enormous waste of time of kids who desperately need 
unto master mathematics, the English language, and a couple of other basics with which they can go out into the world and compete with anybody. But instead, their time is frittered away on these, on, on these self-indulgences in the school system. Mm. Tom Sowell on diversity, quote, if there is any place in the Guinness Book of World Records for words repeated the most often over the most years without one speck of evidence, diversity should be a prime candidate. Is diversity our strength or anybody's strength anywhere in the world? It has not been our diversity, but our ability to overcome the problems inherent in diversity and to act together as Americans that has been our strength. Yes. Again, how did diversity how did diversity come to be this kind of totem in society to which we must all... Oh, it's, it's applying the propaganda uh, uh, principles of, of Nazi uh, propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels, who said that, you know, people will believe any lie if it's big enough and told often enough and loud enough. And uh, this lie has been told. If you, if you look at... See, diversity is really another name of what used to be called balkanization. And they had to get rid of that because if you if you looked at the Balkans, you would see that the horrors that have gone on there have outstripped anything that has ever happened in the United States. Uh, back in, in the 1970s, when I was running a research project in Washington on American ethnic groups, uh, a Yugoslav uh, scholar came by to visit me, and he said, you think blacks and whites in America have a problem? The problems of blacks and whites in America is nothing compared to the problems of Serbs and Croats in Yugoslavia. And if you read the horrors that have occurred there, uh, I'll, I'll just mention one, throwing people's babies in the air and catching them on bayonets and forcing the parents to watch it while it happened. I mean, we have not reached that point yet, even though we are headed in that direction. Uh, diversity is not their strength. The ability to deal with the problems of diversity, that is our strength. All right. Or was. Tom Sowell on government assistance, quote, do people who advocate special government programs for blacks realize that the federal government has had special programs for American Indians, including affirmative action, since the early 19th century, and that American Indians remain one of the few gr groups worse off than blacks? Close quote. Yes. So the point there is, do not look to government action or to politics to solve to solve yeah, anybody's problem. Is that if you think that, that the government action is, is is the answer, at least look at the facts and test and test your belief against facts rather than just keep repeating words that are popular. All right. By the way, the California legislature. Uh, I don't know whether I, I can't f sort out whether it's actual legislation or it was a resolution, non-binding resolution. In any event, something moved in the California legislature calling for formal reparations to African-Americans. How do you respond to that? One, I know and they know it's not going to happen. So, so what we're looking at is someone who wants votes or followers uh, and that this will get them votes or get them followers and, and finances. But it's not, all it will do is simply tear, tear the country apart. All right. Back to charter schools and their enemies. Once again, I want to repeat that central finding. 
Charter schools located in low-income Black and Hispanic neighborhoods have achieved educational results not only far above the levels achieved by most public schools in those neighborhoods, but sometimes even higher educational results than those in most schools located in affluent white neighborhoods, close quote. Tom, at a moment when the country is tearing itself apart over questions of race and inequality over all of it, Tom Sowell steps forward and says, wait a moment, there's a way out. And it's not a particularly surprising way out. Good schools. Give black kids and Hispanic kids good schools. They'll be fine. And we know they'll be fine because that's what the data shows. It is as if we were all in a burning house. And Tom Sowell said, everybody, everybody, there's an open door. Let's just walk through. Let's just walk through. And I don't know if I, I look at this and I think to myself, Tom is able to remain calm about this, but it is beyond infuriating. infuriating. It's a kind of madness. It's as if there's an open door in a burning house and Bill de Blasio is trying to keep it shut. Yes. Oh, I'm not, I'm not always this calm. Otherwise I wouldn't have spent the time I I spent that. I have invested more in this book than any other book that I've written. Because I realized just how, how 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 big the stakes are. That there are kids for whom education is their one big uh, opportunity for a much better life, and there are people out there stopping them from getting it because it would interfere with the prerequisites per- of, of of the adults in the system. Well, last question. I'd like to close, if I may, by in a moment, by asking you to read uh, the the closing passage from the the book. But two things happened yesterday. One was that you turned 90, and the other was that Charter Schools and Their Enemies was published. And by the way, it's not as if you just awoke after a long retirement slumber. I've added it up. You've written a new book or re-edited, produced a new edition of a book about every 18 months since turning 80. Yeah. And, and Tom, I, I don't know, I have news for you. You haven't had anything to prove to anybody in a quarter of a century at least. Yeah. What keeps Tom Soul, 90 plus one day old, going? Why do you, you, you're not just going, you're fighting. Let's, let's, let's face it. Yeah. This book is a polemic. You want action to, to follow from this book. I'm hoping. I am hoping it's desperately needed. And there are people who are organized to try to make sure that these kids do not uh, be, uh, escape the traditional public school and cost them uh, money, uh, union dues, and teachers' jobs in the, in the traditional schools. If, if, if the charter schools get going and all these kids get off the, off the waiting list, they're going to have to change the entire way of life in the traditional public schools, and it will not be pretty. It won't be pretty. It'll be pretty for the kids. Yes. Yeah. Tom, would you, would you read the closing passage from Charter Schools and Their Enemies? This is especially important when considering children from a cultural background 
lacking the advantages that are common among children born into more fortunate circumstances. Children who have not received at home the educational, behavioral, and other foundations for making the most of their natural ability must get those things in school. These are the plain and harsh realities of circumstances. The stakes are huge, not only for children whose education can be their one clear ticket for a better, better life, but also for a whole society that needs more productive members fulfilling themselves while contributing their talents to the progress of the community at large. Children who emerge from their education with a mastery of mathematics, the English language, and other fun fundamentals are ready to be those kinds of people, regardless of what color or class they come from. No narrow vested interest of adults, whether financial, political, or ideological, should be allowed to block that. Dr. Thomas Sowell, author of Charter Schools and Their Enemies. Thomas Sowell, age 90 and still swinging. Thank you. Thank you. Peter. And happy birthday again, Tom. And Tom, will you do me a favor? Yes. Take the afternoon off, will you please? <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> For Uncommon Knowledge, the Hoover Institution and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson.